Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Kelly Weaver, uh, CEO of Melrose PR. And I've known Kelly for a while. She's a, a great lady and an advisor to companies in the blockchain space. So how are you doing, Kelly? Doing great. Thanks, Rich. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just as a refresher, because the owners always say it better than I do, uh, tell people about Melrose. What do you guys do? Sure. We're a... Um really a communications agency uh, based in Los Angeles, California. We um, are rooted in PR, but now we do a lot of content marketing as well for uh, blockchain and crypto-based um, businesses. So we're exclusively focused in, in that area. And we work with a number of different crypto projects. Um, it almost feels like we only represent ICOs at this point, although that's not our, our focus. But we've worked with, I think, 22 different ICO projects to date. Um, and we have a few non-ICO non, uh, non blockchain-based uh, projects that we're working on now as well. Can you, uh, are you able to say any of, the, um, you know, any of the projects you're working with right now, names? For sure, yeah. Um, RightMesh is one that we've worked with for a while, and they're, um, they're um, going to be coming out with their project pretty soon. I think their token sale is in, in March, but they're basically a global connectivity um, play based in Ethereum, so global mesh networks where you can share your your um, connectivity with like nearby phones, um, and it's solving for you know global connectivity issues, and they're really targeting third world countries um, first. So they have a huge team in Bangladesh who's helped develop this, and it's a really cool project that we're very excited about and honored to be part of their greater team. We've been working with them since August, so it's been a little while. Um, and then okay. Loki is another one. I know you know John Wise from Loki, their intellectual mm -hmm. property platform um, for search and discovery tool. Um, we're working with um, RefuX, which is a, a back-end developer software tool for enterprise data, putting on, on blockchain. Um, Joy Token, which is an online gambling uh, platform. And Spire, um, which is another um, sort of third-world infrastructure play where they're they have distribution channels through their existing company, UpChannel, where they uh, distribute sort of um, inexpensive mobile phones to uh, third world countries already. Like they have millions of units going in and they create the software that uh, populates those phones so that when the user opens up their phone, turns it on, they automatically have access to the software. And so Spire is basically integrating blockchain wallets so that they can use 
cryptocurrency when without even really know, knowing it when they turn on their new smart, right. smartphone. That's cool. How, how did you get into focusing on blockchain companies? You know, what, when you thought about Melrose and you started it, what did you want to do? And was that the same thing you ended up doing? Um, so great question. It, Melrose started in early 2012. So we've been around for a little over six years and it was completely focused on consumer focused um, products and restaurants and we were very much a lifestyle PR agency for the first four years of our existence. And we're based in, um, well, we were at the time based in Santa Monica, California. We're now in Culver City, which is a couple towns over. But um, and in our backyard were companies like Snapchat and, you know, up and coming tech companies. And so mm. an advisor um, had convinced us to sort of work with a couple of tech companies that he was involved with, one of which was GEM which GEM is an enterprise solutions provider for blockchain technology, and they work with clients like Capital One and Philips and Toyota in creating sort of uh, blockchain applications and pilots. And mm -hmm. so we started working with them more on like doing community-based events and things like that, and then really fell in love with their team and what they were doing, and then in turn fell in love with the sort of far-reaching applications of this technology and saw an opportunity for communications with us. We went to a, a couple of conferences with them and met, you know, really interesting and talented people who are working with this technology and maybe didn't know how to communicate that vision as clearly as, as we felt it could be done and so saw an opportunity. And that was in um that was in twenty sixteen. And um and yeah, at that time like Bitcoin was a dirty word and you know everyone was talking about mm -hmm. blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. And we started working with a couple of other blockchain companies at the time as well. And one of them was Madhive, which is a, an ad tech uh, platform. And they they um, they launched a token actually this past fall as well, Mad Token. Um, but they um, anyway, we saw an opportunity, and so we started branded ourselves as a blockchain PR company because we, we thought wouldn't it be cool if we just worked with com companies in this in this space and. That really was sort of an idea that didn't take hold until this past year, 2017, when, you know, the market sort of exploded. And I keep saying, I think we were in the right place at the right time to sort of um, work with some really interesting companies that are coming out with really um, fascinating use cases of, of this really cool technology. So, Sorry. yeah, we, we got sort of lucky. And it, it really didn't even take off until May. Like, May was sort of a pivotal turning point for our business, I think, for the market in general, where mm, all yeah. of a sudden it went from us reaching out to companies, being like, hey, do you need communications strategy? Do you need PR? To all of a sudden, you know, just like people clawing, chomping at the bit, saying, you know, hey, yeah. we want to work with you. And we were like, you know, sort of at the time unprepared for that. Well, that's great. That's event. Great. Yeah. So exciting. with them, I, I bet when companies come to you, they want ABC, but you probably know that they need, you know, X, Y, Z. So, you know, what are those things that the companies are telling you they want and what do you provide that you see actually works and is helpful? So companies want coverage in major publications, I think, generally speaking. Like they want to see their articles placed in New York Times and Wall Street Journal and big publications, you know. And we have what, – what used to be a lot easier is, is become a lot more challenging – now because the market's become a lot more saturated the journalists and reporters are a lot more skeptical and weary probably rightfully so and there's just such volume of projects that you know it's i don't they don't have full-time due diligence on things you know so right. um 
So we've almost had to, I mean, we definitely do still generate placements in the press and we have great relationships with reporters in the space, but even with those relationships, it's still challenging to get press um, on such tight timelines too, because clients will come to us and be like, hey, we're launching our sale in two weeks, what can you do? And it's like, well, you know, in that amount of time, not much, you know, mm, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. but we'll, um, you know, put together a strategy, like generate story angles and and figure out what is going to be compelling to the end sort of um, consumer of this information. So, okay. you know, coming up with like stories, the stories behind the projects, like what what is interesting from a human interest perspective and why, like what's the real problem here and why are we trying to fix it? And And telling those stories versus like, telling stories about like the tokenomics and why they designed that, you know, the community wants to hear that for sure. Like within the telegram channels and all of that, they, they have questions about the tokenomics and the token structure and all that. But from a general standpoint, we try to avoid talking about those types of things and really just talk about the really interesting applications of the technology. And so that's part of what we do is the PR. And then part of what, uh, we also do is the content. So we generate a ton of content for our clients, whether that's for their own purposes, like their own medium channel, their own um, blog, certain announcements, um, you know, newsletters, announcements that are being made through their community channels, things like that. So that's another huge component. And then we try to generate awareness through like places people are looking at various different ICO calendar sites. We work to get clients listed and um, make sure that they're you know, being found in the first place. And then then when they do find them, that we make sure that the content that they discover is telling the right story. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what is the state of the ICO market to you? I mean, I, I just, you know, to me as a person in the crypto space, it seems like every day I see new ICOs, you know, listed on Cointelegraph and all the media. And I just feel tired. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I've invested in a few, but I'm just like, man, I know there's so many, I don't know what to do. Like, it seems like it, there's a lot of noise. How do you make sure your clients uh, punch through and raise money successfully and get to the next step? Good question. I mean, I sort of hit that fatigue standpoint or feeling this past fall. Like, I felt like it just couldn't get any bigger, any faster. And I do feel like mm. it's the qual the quality is starting to level out. The, the, amount of the amount of inquiries we got for business in in May, June, July, August, September, every month over month, it was like exponential exponential growth. And then since September, I feel like it's somewhat leveled out in terms of it hasn't gone down, but it's increased, it's, it's stayed consistent. And then the quality's gotten better for the most part. Um, it's, you know, bigger teams, existing companies, like, um, and so that's a little bit refreshing. I mean, the market, I don't know. I think that I'm hoping that there may be, I don't know how regulatory like the regulatory stuff is going to play out. I have a feeling that they'll wait to announce anything. They've, they've provided a lot of very clear framework, the SEC has. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's allowing people to be cautious, but also like following their guidelines. I think they've been pretty straightforward about giving guidelines and recommendations. And then um, as that relates to the overall market, I mean, I think that probably what will happen is people who are in violation um, will get played out in court and then they'll make a big sting out of it. And then, Hopefully that'll make make the the volume of scammers and people like sort of dissipate. And I I feel like the quality's gotten better because people who are who are just outright you know doing this for not, not the right reasons got kind of spooked. And so there's a little bit less of that. And I'm hoping that that continues. And I think that you know once there's once a major event like that happens, which could be any day, 
I have no idea. Yeah. It could be year, years away that it's going to shake the market out a bit. But I already feel like that's sort of starting to happen on its own. So I don't know. But in terms of the, the you know, the crowd investing, I mean, I thought this back in, in the fall as well, like, I don't think people are actually investing in the in the real crowd sale, but they are. They're just, you know, the pre-sales are much more appetizing and people are structuring incentives and bonuses if you get in early, if you invest a certain amount, like a certain minimum. And so what I've noticed that's happening like more and more is like these the rise of these investment pools. I, I don't know if you, but like, you know, people you who are basically they're pooling their money. So like if you have to if you have to reach a $10,000 minimum, but you can't do it on your own, you get five friends together, one person technically invests, and but they invest on behalf of the group. And there's more and more of these groups that are, and it's very much under the radar. I, you know, I don't know how long it's going to last because it couldn't be legal. And I think that the rise of investment pools is really interesting. And I, I think that that's, this is going to be a short-lived little blip, but I feel like a lot of people are, or a lot of the companies are raising a lot of money through these, these pools and things. And then there's also, you know, additionally, there's just a lot more traditional money that's getting into the space. There's way more, you know, venture funds, hedge funds sprouting up that want to invest in this. So there is, you know, more money, but I feel like a lot of it's coming in on the pre-sale and maybe not as much on the regular crowd sale, depending on how it's structured. It's just not like, why would you buy it at retail price sort of thing? Okay, I gotcha. But when there's when there's scarcity, people do, and you know, like I, I don't know, there's so much that goes into it. Um, but it's changing on 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 a daily basis. We have a weekly team lunch where we just sit and we talk talk about an industry topic based on you know that week and what's going on. Because right. if you don't stop and like take a look around at what's going on, you're gonna. I mean, it changes so quickly, you know. So we're finding that we have to sort of take a step back. And you know this because you're in client services as well. You know, you get sort of wrapped up in the day-to-day of the blocking and tackling of what comes up that day. And it's important right. to understand where the market's at in this industry specifically to be able to what, market correctly. So who, when when companies come to you, I mean, you can't take them all. And, you know, it's nice if they're throwing themselves at you. You get to pick, you know, who you like and who you don't like. And I know it's not like and don't like, but. What factors do you see when you're doing your evaluation that tell you, yep, they'll be a good client or no, they won't, uh, you know, both internally and then for their success in the market? What do you look at? So initially we have a due diligence framework that we've put together that evaluates five categories. Um, I can try to remember off the top of my head, but they're um, like the team and, um, and advisors, the technology that they're using, the overall market. Um, a couple other factors that we look at. We basically dig into the white paper. We have someone on our team whose his only job is due diligence, so it's become a huge part of what we do. And that's and that's evaluating from a from a is this legitimate standpoint as well as a is this marketable. So there's that component. And then if it passes our sniff test and gets you know good scores across the five categories, then we'll move it on. And I'll usually have a call with them or someone on our team. Well, and that's when you sort of understand whether they're going to be good to work with or not. And, and and kind of depending on how they, we have like intake forms. And if people are like unwilling to, to fill out the information on the intake form and just like want to initially hop on a call, then you know that they're, they may have something great, but they may be a really difficult client if they're not even thinking it takes five minutes. So yeah, that's what I'm going to ask you. What are, what are um, any warning signs uh, that tell you, mm, I think these guys are going to be trouble. You know what, you know, I know you don't know well, all the categories, few, but what, yeah, we've had a few instances where we've like they've passed all of our due diligence. We started working with them, and like a month or two into it, we're like, maybe this wasn't, you know, like we make mistakes for sure. 
But, yeah. you know, um, like if you're telling them what, you know how you were asking about what they need versus what they want, if they're receptive right. to your suggestions and they're listening and they're having thoughtful conversations with you and you're, you know, you're able to really think um, like it's a, t it's a team effort. Like we're an extension of the, of the team. It's not like they hire us and then we just like take the information and run with it. We're very much working in conjunction with the various different teams. We have to have a a line in because we need to make sure that everything's approved by legal and all of that. So if they're, if they seem like they're going to be respectful and, and also, um, you know, they're hiring us, but you'd hope that they want to know our opinion on, on how to do things. But sometimes they, sometimes people don't, they just expect it to be right. done a certain way. But I think the more reasonable they are, the better. And that probably is across multiple industries, but you know, we, we Any, um, only take on a very few amount of clients. Like we have teams within our organization. Every team is only ever working on three to maybe four projects at a time. And so mm. we have to be super selective. It's also somewhat of a timing thing because like these projects are, you know, we usually, generally speaking, we work with them like two months leading up to the ICO and one, one to two months like kind of during after. And so there, there is like a cycle, although we've had, you know, a handful of clients that have gone a lot longer, um, but it is sort of a short cycle. And so we're, then we're like repeating the process from scratch again. So there is a bit of timing, like based on bandwidth, because we're very, like, we don't want to spread ourselves too thin. And I think we've gotten to a, a size now of like our company. We have seven in California full time, and then we have about 15 total people. And we're at a size where we're like really moving and grooving, but we don't want to grow anymore because we don't want to compromise the quality. So we've gotten like our systems down, like the groups that, and the teams work really well together. And um, yeah, we've got a great group of people. So we're, and we're happy with but, where we're at. Um, you, so you work with companies predominantly in the, you know, through the ICO, but what about afterwards? I would think that this is just me, my opinion, but you know, you do your ICO, you raise money. To me, that's just the start. Now you have to. Oh, I totally the, agree. The, yeah, the people that invested in you, you can't just say bye, have a nice life, you know. And then you have to also now build your product, and you have to get real customers. So, like, do the companies I seem totally to appreciate agree. that, or, or they think, hey, Kelly, thanks, thanks for helping us raise ten million. Have a nice day, bye. Like, what well, do they do? Unfortunately, well, unfortunately, and I know your company tackles the sort of post ICO marketing, reaching out to you, yeah. but I, we do like. There's a couple of clients where we have done post ICO. What what we've noticed is that this ICO process is such a sprint. Like it's not a marathon; it's a sprint, you know. And by the end, there's such mm. fatigue and exhaustion that everybody kind of wants to take a break from the like, you know, everybody's been like just on, 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 traveling the world, going to conferences, like meeting mm. people, talking about it, you know, managing the community. Like there's so much that goes into it that by the end. There's fatigue, and then there's you know a, a real need to to sort of um, chill out. Well, also work on what they're what they promised that they would work on versus you know. Okay, gotcha. We we've done we've actually worked with community management teams in the past, and we work with community management teams, and we're we understand the community process, and so I think eventually we'll start doing more and more of that. That's really important. I've seen teams where they just like drop off the face of the planet afterwards, and it's really scary to the people who participated in the ICO because they're like. Yeah, where's the team? They were so active when we were when mm. they were, you know, trying to get us in here and now where are they? And so I've seen that happen over and over. But I think right. based on the fatigue and where things are at, people are using us at least, our company, for more of the like leading up to it versus the the post. But I would love to get more into um projects post 
post-ICO. Um, it's definitely a well, different the, working uh, strategy. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe the, maybe the conversation is, you know, we work with you, and then when you're tired from the dog and pony show, then we do it for you. You know, but I know yeah. that's that's for you to to work on. But yeah, but um. Yeah, and there's and there's also t- like because the regulation is so uncertain and people are so paranoid about about that, they're really fussy about what they can and can't release in terms of mm. in terms of gotcha. like the numbers, the amount of participants, and all of that. And so that's that's tricky for us, and we're not lawyers, you know, so we have to sort of take a lead from the legal, which oftentimes says, no, we really can't release that yet, or we can't at all. Right. Uh, what what companies out there do you do you just love that you wish you could work with or you did and now they're you know the the bird flew from the nest and you're just so happy about them like you know what are the the big initiatives that you think are awesome and you're gonna probably do well. Mm, I really like. I mean, I love companies like Shapeshift and and different infrastructure companies that are helping like move the move this along and really helpful for people in crypto. I like Salt Lending. I'm not involved with them in any way, but I like, you know, the idea that you can um, borrow against you know, crypto, yeah. borrow against your crypto assets. Exactly. I think that that's really interesting. Um, I liked the Omega One project was sort of more for like big money incumbents, but like liquidity um, solutions. Mm-hmm. So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of I, I think that. What I'm excited for in this industry in general is the infrastructure and uh, getting to where it needs to be to support sort of the amount of growth that wants. And so things that worry me is like when you tell your friends and family about crypto and get really excited and tell them they should buy a little bit of Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, you know, you then tell them to sign up for Coinbase. But then, you know, you may want to tell them that, I, I, I don't know, like storing on Coinbase can be can be risky in case people get access to your account and can just swipe all of your your assets and you know this is this is happening all the time yeah. and so there's there's security and sort of I mean it's it's a complicated process even investing in an ICO or participating in an ICO however you want to call it is is pretty um, you know takes a few steps and you sort of need to walk people through the process it's not that easy and you know it's not that user friendly and and that's because it's right. like nobody in this space like my ether wallet was like a tiny little team i think and now you know like everybody everybody uses everybody you know oh, yeah. and i find yeah. like i use hardware wallets and i think that i like the concept of hardware wallets i think that the user interface on like the ledger nano s or the trezor could, could be a little bit more intuitive it's still a little bit scary to send and receive crypto i think um yeah so there's just like little things that you know, will help us get there where, you know, you can talk about it and it's it's going to become more mainstream. And, and things like Coinbase have, have helped us get get there because it's like an easy way to, you know, use fiat or cash and, and get it in and out of crypto. But, right, you know, right. there's high fees involved and that is very centralized. Like the concept of Bitcoin was meant to be peer to peer. And when you're buying from mm. Coinbase, it's, it's peer to peer to Coinbase, you know, peer to big, big brother to peer. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I love, I love Coinbase. Like, I love what they've done for making it able mainstream. But I think yeah. there needs to be a few more companies like Coinbase. Oh, I love BitPay. You know, that's how we use. So we mm-hmm. accept um, payment in Bitcoin, Ethereum. So that's an easy way for companies like ours and or any company, really, e-commerce especially, is what they target to accept Bitcoin and then convert it to fiat if you need to. So some right. of our some of the our team members, I pay in crypto. Some I most I pay in, in, in fiat, so you know sometimes when we receive more Bitcoin payments, we have to convert it quickly, and that's an easy way to do so. And they only take a one percent 
fee, which I think is really reasonable. I mean, if you think about credit cards, yeah. that's 3%. So, yeah. so you know, companies well, like I'm, that are making it so that we can use it. All right. Well, I'm going to take you in a little bit different direction. You know, we're, we're getting close to being out of time, but um, I hope this is not out of left field. But, it, you know, when I go to meetups, like I went last night to the fact of meetup, and there's like one woman there, you know, and, and uh, I just noticed that women don't really seem to care about crypto too much. You know, it's not that. So I don't know. It's just a tremendously male-dominated yeah. space. So as a woman, as a woman in crypto, what's it like, and why do you like it? And most women that I've ever seen don't seem to care about it. Like, what's your perspective as a woman in crypto? So I see it as a huge opportunity and advantage because I totally agree. It is a very male-dominated space, and I think that's because it's tech. So tech in general is sort of male-dominated. Tech meets finance, also male-dominated. So. And then, you know, it's a little bit confusing. It's a riskier, like I read that 95% of, of crypto holders are, are male, which is crazy to me. You know, in my household, like my husband is more, you know, afraid of the volatility than I am, but I'm much more of an entrepreneur, like risk taker <laughs> personality. But, um, but what's interesting is that because there's so few women in the space, we've all sort of joined together to make it a point to not make that the case. And so we like women in blockchain are a very tight knit group and very like inclusive. And, you know, we like there's Slack channels, Telegram channels, like everybody's helping each other and so willing to help and so willing to sort of recruit, spread the message. I mean, we have a really unique situation because our team here in California and our office is seven women. So we're, you know, like totally not the norm here. We have three guys on our team, but, um, but yeah, of the 15 were, you know, 12 women. So that's really, really, really unique. Um, and I think it's a total advantage based on the fact that, you know, women are so willing to help each other. I mean, I've noticed like at conferences and stuff, there aren't that many women speakers. So what, you know, I know one, yeah. one there was sort of an open source medium post that was like aggregating top women in crypto that you could recruit for, you know, conference organizers. And so, and it has, like, and so I feel like it's going to change because every woman that I meet, um, who's in this space is doing really, really cool things. And, you know, I think, yeah, I'm really, I think that we're all sort of finding together to make this, make it less um, male dominated and, and making it more like less scary for women to join in. I launched my own podcast, Crypto Token Talk, um, launching today, actually. And I'm making cool. it a point to, to interview as many women as I do men for the podcast, because there's so many interesting women in the space, you know, and so I think people just need to hear what's going on. I mean, there's tons of female CEOs. Meltem from DCG, Digital Currency Group out of New York, um, she's done a great job. She she did, like, I guess March last year was Women's Month, and so she decided oh. to do, like, posts about, like, women in blockchain, and she got so many responses that she had a post every single day. So she had, like, 30 um 31 days of, of women that she featured and then she's continued it throughout the rest of, of last year and, and onwards. So there's, if you look up her or DCG's medium, I think you could find the women in blockchain series. And there's just like so many great women that are doing these cool things. And so people like her who are sort of spearheading this effort are, are helping to make it so that hopefully that, that won't be the case for much longer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I'm glad you launched your podcast. It's really cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so well, you inspired I guess we're it. Wrap. You inspired it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a good thing. You get to talk to all kinds of cool people, you know, and that's, uh, I definitely enjoy talking to you. You know, you're one of the uh, 
one of my favorite people in the space. You've always been gracious and cool, and so I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Likewise. I can't wait to finally meet you in person at the uh, at, at your big conference coming up. Yeah. So, hopefully you, know, you, hopefully you won't be that, running around the whole time. Yeah. No, I'll have some time. But, yeah, yeah. Just for, for listeners, um, if you want to meet Melrose team, you guys are going to be at you know the Bitcoin, Ethereum, Blockchain Super Conference coming real soon, February 16th to the 18th in Dallas. So I mentioned that it's only for that. So people will be able to see you in person, which is cool. And um, yeah, what, so what's the best way for interested companies to get in touch with you, uh, you know, so they can see if you can help them? You know, websites, uh, phone, what's the best way? Yeah, MelrosePR.com has two sort of inbound forms, one for token sale projects and one for just blockchain-related projects. And click on that and, and get more info. You can reach me directly at CryptoKelly on Twitter. My name's spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y. And yeah, I think those okay. are the two probably best ways. All right, great. Well, like I said, I've been talking to Kelly Weaver, CEO of Melrose PR. So, Kelly, thanks so much for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.